0: Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters.
1: Welcome back. We are so glad that you included us in your day to day. Therapists Uncensored is recorded in Austin, Texas, and our goal is to bring you the need to know about the science of relationships. And by relationships, we mean a relationship with yourself, your partner, your boss, anyone that uh, brings deep meaning to your life. I'm Ann Kelly, and I'm here with my co-host, Sue Marriott and Patty Allwell. And Sue is going to lead us today in a discussion about the basics of a very complicated but extremely important area of science. It's called interpersonal neurobiology. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but Sue has a way of breaking it down, uh, complicated topics down to a manner that you could just really easily understand and you can see how relevant the topic is to your everyday life. So, sit back and listen and I hope you enjoy.
2: Hi, I'm Patty Allwill and I'm here with my co-hosts. I am Ann Kelly and I'm Sue Marriott. Yeah, we are going to explore the concepts of interpersonal the concept of interpersonal neurobiology today. We have. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful. <laughs> we have just done an interview with Dan Siegel, who really is the developer of interpersonal no- neurobiology, and today we're going to really take a deep dive into that concept and some of the other ideas around it.
0: That's right. He actually coined the term in 1999 in his um, seminal. Is that the word? Textbook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The developing mind, which has been life-changing for many therapists and and clinicians um, in many of the disciplines, actually. It's an interdisciplinary science that has taken many, you know, from anthropology, education, um, biology, biology, neurobiology, neurobiology uh, many of the different disciplines and pulled them together to study the mind, and mental health and well being. So what we want to do is we're going to run through. So by the end of this, you are going to be able to whip off some really cool concepts, and sound really smart to your friends. So (laughs) hang with us. And we're going to uh, move through these pretty quickly. We're going to this one will have some really good thorough show notes. And uh, there'll be other ways to follow up and do some more advanced training if this interests you. So we'll get to that as well. But so first of all, what does interpersonal neurobiology mean besides being a mouthful and sounding really complicated,
1: right? Right. And lots of people wonder what that is, even when you feel like you're familiar with the whole topic.
0: That's right. So it's really just kind of means uh, the brain, right, is is the uh, neuroscience part and interpersonal means Between. Um, So, and between what, Sue? Between people. Got it. So um, he was the first person to really look at that the brain is not just the organ inside, sitting inside your head and your skull, but really to think about what the mind is itself. And for the purposes of keeping this really succinct, we're just going to go pretty quick here, but that the mind is something Different than the brain, but that the mind changes the brain and that the brain changes the mind, and that my brain and mind is changing and influencing yours, Patty, Right. as we look at each other and um, talk to each and other and talk to each other and behave different ways with each other, and that yours is mine. And actually, I'm going to jump right ahead to this idea of this um, triangle of well being which is um, on one side of the triangle is the mind, and on another side of the triangle is the brain, and on the third is relationships. And so Dan's idea is, and I think this is really cool to think about, that at any given moment, all three of these things are influencing us, and you can kind of think of a little arrow moving around, and everything is influencing each other. So we can have like a state. I can be in a mood, for example, And then my brain body, he talks about brain body, that the brain doesn't just exist in our head, but it is embodied in our entire neural system.
1: Um, And our emotions don't exist just in our head. And I think that is really an amazing concept that our emotions also can generate from the rest of our our body, including our gut. Uh, Yes. That our gut can respond even. That's right. We have a brain in our gut. Brain in our gut.
0: (laughs) The gut feeling is actually quite smart. Mm -hmm. So that basically, the way I think of it, uh, to bring it down into just sort of real-life terms, is neural Wi-Fi. Right. Mm -hmm. That we are (laughs) (laughs) Bluetooth-enabled from even before birth. Right. Um, And that we are sort of resetting each other. Mm -hmm. And so that this triangle, if we think about the triangle, is... And this isn't woo-woo, you know, feely good, fluffy stuff. This is actually... He is a neuroscientist... Uh, a Harvard psychiatrist, um, and uh, very, very well respected. The science of this, when you look at the developing mind, it especially if you look at some of the later um, releases of it, it has been tested and tested and tested. This is hard science.
1: One of the things I remember about uh, Dan talking about his book, and I love this, is that the first book he took, The Developing Mind, he handed to a bunch of graduate students and said, your job is to disprove every single part of this and then to bring it back. And we want you to disprove everything I said. And so that's where his second book came out is really looking at it from a scientific perspective. I was always really impressed with that.
0: So that as we go forward, just know that this is the real deal. So one of the other concepts, so one of them is that it's interdisciplinary, um, that it's about the mind and mental health that, uh, so there's three big concepts that brain growth happens throughout the lifespan so that it's never too late and neuroplasticity is the fancy word for it. Um, and if we have, t- we're for sure going to talk more about it. If we have time, I want to do it today. Um, but we'll get back to that. And then the third part is that social relationships are critical and you can already hear that as we begin to unfold this, when we think about that triangle and that how we're impacted both, our moods, our states, our, our um, the the hardwiring, the soft. I'm sorry, the hardware, the software, and then the live interaction that is happening. And if you're a therapist and you're listening to this, imagine as you're sitting there. And then it, remember one of the points is relationships. So every person that comes and sits with you is impacting your body, and you're impacting their body. That's part of how healing happens. And how therapy works, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think that's really important. I think we heal in relationships, and really, that's the only way to heal. You can't heal in isolation. You can't read a self-help book. Enough self-help mm. books. Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to knock, uh, you know, personal growth or anything. You but... can't run hard enough, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, we heal in relationships. Eat enough <laughs>
0: Oreos. Oreos don't work. <laughs>
1: we heal in relationships but we also create neural wifi <laughs> I'm sorry
0: go ahead <laughs>
1: I could use that right now we heal in relationships but everyone knows also that in relationships you can feel the neural wifi go bad mm-hmm. we go get disconnected and that the what creates disruption in our individual system and our relationships also really affects our brain and vice versa and i think that's what's so important about why we're putting this on our podcast is because it really does what happens to us in, in between us and in our interpersonal relationships actually does affect our brain. And it's so important to remember that and what goes on in our mind and our brain affects our relationships. And so, it's just a-
2: You know, it's it's a really good point, Anne. And when you start with the baby, you start with a lot of the hardware isn't there. So the brain is really developing in relationship with the caregiver, with the mother or the father or whatever the caregiver is. So um, it's not even an effect on our brain, it helps build our brain. Build
1: and develop. Good point.
0: Now here, this is going to just blow... This blew me away. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, so hold your seats. <laughs> but with <laughs> epi- epigenetics, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically what that means is that experience actually affects our DNA. So that, for example, experience just experience... Can turn on and off and change our our DNA, and this begins to get truthfully, if I'm being totally honest, above my head, um, where that I begin to not understand it. But the gist of it is, is that when severe trauma happens, the child can inherit the a changed DNA just from physical experience of the parent. So that is really, really powerful about how interpersonal actions
2: physically change the body right you, there is a yeah. we have a unplanned social experience, experiment with the holocaust yes. in that
0: that's the most common example of epigenetics yeah, yeah
2: that children of holocaust survivors for several generations have changes in their dna because their parents grandparents suffered a horrible Had traumatic so much experience trauma. yeah that's yes, that's exactly right. So
0: now practically speaking, going back to um, IN, as they say in a neurobiology, um, here's some real here's some fun, easy things to remember for folks. Um, what we want what we want to do, um, on an episode two, we talked about brain science. And uh, so I'm not gonna go over that, but the but the upshot of it was we talked about the importance of what we call the PFC, which is the prefrontal cortex. And how that we want to, as much as possible, because of neural Wi-Fi and being affected by one another, we want to um, be engaged with the top of our brain as much as we can. That's the best part. That's where we are doing the best. And um, what Dan Siegel talks about is this thing called FACES flow. And it stands for, FACES stands for flexible, adaptive, coherent, energetic and stable. That when we are in faces flow, and I used to, when I would start meetings, I would say, okay, <laughs> especially if it was going to be a tense meeting. So <laughs> I'll get reminded that we're going to be in faces flow <laughs> and sort of inspire everyone <laughs> to bring their best selves to this tense meeting. Um, so I'm going to say it again flexible, adaptive coherent, energetic, and stable. that that's what the PFC feels like. That's what integration, that, that integration is one of those words you're going to hear a lot about in interpersonal neurobiology. And it means a lot of different things. We're going to fly through it though and just think of face. The easier thing to think is faces, faces flow. And that is when you can play. That's when you feel safe. Those, that's what we're striving towards. And one of the way techniques to get there is another idea called coal. The idea is not called Cole, but the acronym is Cole, and it stands for. Um, oh, this one I am going to have to. It's um, it's an attitudinal stance, and oh my gosh, help me remember. Um, it's curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. So the idea behind that is, in order to achieve faces, that we begin to notice our own body reactions and what's happening with Cole, which is curiosity, curiosity. openness. Acceptance, acceptance, and love. And the so we're noticing things that are happening. And we've talked about that this in other episodes using mindfulness. And by doing that, instead of resisting what we're feeling or denying it, or insisting that we bring it towards us, we notice it, curious about it, open acceptance, and love, and that we're, we're letting it move through, that that helps us reconnect or move back up, the brainstem, up into faces flow.
1: And of course, it's always important to remember, it sounds very, that we're always zen and always peaceful and <laughs> always curious. And I, for one, can acknowledge that's not where I always live. I know that's shocking, but, um, so I think it's so important. Your voice is very soothing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's really important when we talk about like even curiosity, it doesn't mean that you have fun always being curious. It could be you're really pissed. Mm -hmm. So, so that's not the exception that that means we're always in a Zen state. When we're having curiosity and openness, it's like when we talked about some of the different things in relationships or even around the election it's like we can feel when we're shut down and we're righteous and we're closed so the concept of that is to go oh wait remember i want to try to be open and curious uh, even if i'm being curious about why i'm so pissed right that's that's still really trying to engage in this way,
0: right? The, the openness isn't necessarily open to the other person. It's just <laughs> open to yourself and your feelings. It reminds what me of Tara. Tar, All am my feeling? Tara Brock talking about, uh, she has an acronym RAIN, which I can't, it's like um, recognize, uh, accept, investigate, and be non-judgmental or something. But she was like, I was so pissed. I was so pissed. I was raining all over myself. <laughs> I recognize that I'm pissed and, you know, so just to your point that um the 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 openness might be openness to your fury or to your jealousy or to whatever the big ugly feelings are that might be happening.
1: And we'll get to that point too in terms of the 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 name it to tame it. Is if you can be real we can jump into that one because if yeah. you're really really angry the idea, and we bring it back to the the process of interpersonal neurobiology, yes. why we're talking about this, is that if you're really, really pissed and angry and you're able to say that and recognize it, you've already moved the process in your brain to a place that becomes more centered.
0: That's exactly right. Name entertainment is um, it's a concept that and one way that I think about it is if I so I'm feeling something feeling something when I'm immersed in the experience it just is and it's real and I'm not even aware that I'm feeling something it just is right but even like like jealousy is a great example I think because I didn't know (laughs) I didn't even know what jealousy was I just thought something wrong was happening, <laughs> right? <laughs> the other person
2: was behaving badly. Yes, I really, this
0: is, this is totally true. And and then the concept of, oh, wait, I'm having
1: a feeling. <laughs> First, it was all self-righteous. You know, <laughs>
0: or just, right, or just somebody shouldn't have done something or whatever right. it was. right. Um, or that person, yeah. I could, we won't go into detail about that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so so an image I have with this is like a you know a boat with a crow's nest. Uh-huh. Um, I think about you know my kids when they would have those Lego boats and they would put the crow's nest. You know, it's the little. In case you can't visualize this, it's a little basket on the top of the little Lego boat. (laughs) And the guy stands in it and has the binoculars and can look all, 360 degrees all around. So if internally, if you have a little crow's nest um, where you can see what's happening, you can't really get out of it. If you hit the rocks, you're in the rocks. But at least you can see that you've hit the rocks or that you're going to hit the rocks or where the island is. Yeah. And so you name it, and what happens is what that means is that you've moved a little bit left brain. This isn't exactly technically correct, but this is the way I think. And by doing that, you have mastered, you've begun to master the feeling just a little bit. It won't stop it, but it begins to give you um, a menu of options where that you can begin to choose to do something.
2: Yeah, and I think of it, Sue, as, you know, I say, I'm angry. Well, when I step away, just that little bit of space that allows me to observe what's going on, then it's not, I'm angry. It's, oh, I'm feeling angry. And then I can be a little curious about why I'm feeling angry. What are these sensations? What's going on? So it just gives you that little, pushes you a little farther up into the top of your, into the front of your brain. And
1: it's actually literally pushes it up. That's what I think that so much of the new science really has advanced is that it's not, we're not just talking about this. It actually literally shows that when you name it, you actually tame it because it moves it from the more threat centered out of that area to the more prefrontal cortex, which is what you were talking about.
0: Totally And I mean I think that's I mean it makes all the difference. That pause that you're talking about really, truly makes all the difference.
2: And there's so much science focused on this right now, even uh, Steve Porges, yes talks about moving up into your social engagement system. And so again, when you get up in the in the prefrontal cortex, you have more choices. You can engage with another person. It's not the threat system that you know is lower down in the brain. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. We're gonna do polyvagal theory. That's our next that's one of our next ones, actually. Um and that's Steve Porges's it. idea. That's right. So um, all right, so quick review, and then we're gonna do just a couple more before we wrap up. Um we've talked about what it means. We've talked about faces and coal. Can anybody remember faces?
2: Flexible, adaptive. Very good. Come Coherent. on, okay, while
0: you're listening, I want y'all to, to go with it. Coherent. I, I'm listening for you listeners. Um, Say it with us. Coherent, energe- energetic.
2: There you go. And stable. Stable.
0: So faces is flexible, adaptive, coherent, energetic, and stable. And I just like repeating those words because they inspire. They're insp- they're inspiring words. They're like the North Star, what to shoot for, what we're aiming for. Even if we're not there, let's paddle that direction. And then Cole I mean, again, there's lots of ways to get here, but the gist of this one is... Curious. Curiosity. Open. Ex- accepting. There you go. And loving. Yay. And then we've talked about the triangle of well-being. Um, do we remember what's on the triangle? And the only reason... I'm not trying to test you guys here, but I am just... Repetition helps people remember. So as you're listening, try to remember the triangle of well-being is what?
1: The mind the brain
0: and the relationships that's right and then we've talked about name it to tame it um and i don't think we've talked about neurons that fire together wire together which is hebb's law um the the gist of that particular term it's a common term that you hear in this area is just that experiences that you begin to pair together will begin to pair together so that can be good or that can be not good as you mentioned earlier Anne. And that what we want, it so it's, we, uh, we want to use this for our benefit and begin to pair positive things with one another and unpair things that, um, take us into a bad place.
1: Cause it really changes our, our, our mind in a deep way and our brain to pair it. It reminds me of Patty's dialogue about those things about what couples can do. That's right. About <laughs> eye contact and changing habits that that pairing really creates a sense of calming to the whole system.
2: That's right. It can create a little
0: cascade of a reaction.
2: Yeah, in fact, one of the things I recommend for my couples is to to do a mindfulness exercise out loud together because then their partner's voice is coupled with that relaxation oh, and that calming. calming. And so when they are in a stress situation, instead of it immediately being oh, your voice is going to set me off. It's like, oh, well, I have the experience of your voice making me feel really calm. And again, it gives you that little space.
0: That is a fantastic example. I love that. It's really nice. And so that's, again, that's Hebb's Law. And then um, a parenting example, to throw one of those in, about how do you apply um, interpersonal neurobiology to parenting is uh, this idea of connect before you correct So connect before you correct is a parenting example of using interpersonal neurobiology in a practical way in your day-to-day life, which basically just means that when you have to set a boundary, um, discipline your child, that's always a hard time, you know, Um, it's it's a painful time for the child usually, even when they've done something obnoxious and they need a boundary set, it's, you know, it's usually a little shame induction and, it's just a, it's a moment of stress. And so, um, I'm not saying at all that you, there shouldn't be the boundaries and that those things shouldn't happen, but it's more, um, like you don't want to, like if you're very, very, very aroused and you say, you can't, uh, you can't go to Six Flags, you know, and you overdo it. Now you've just sabotaged yourself because you can't really take the, you know, the next moment you're going to be like, okay, you can go to Six Flags. So you've just undermined yourself. So part of it is if you can get reconnected to the child, then you're going to be able to um, more mindfully figure out what the boundary should actually be on one hand. And then
2: also if you're... um, You know, Sue, I, I agree with you totally. I often say... Uh, it's not the time for the teaching moment. Right. <laughs> right. You know, that's it's a, the time to reconnect with your child, to get both of you into a more regulated state. The teaching moment can come later. Right. And that's the correction, maybe. That's right. But that, that really it's about um, both of you getting down regulated, reconnecting, and really taking care of the relationship. Exactly. And I think mistakes happen in that
0: when you both feel better, the boundary doesn't happen which can be a mistake or that the boundary happens when you're really aroused and then you can't hold it. Right. And then that can be a mistake. But that the notion behind this is that you connect before you correct so that you can mindfully be aware of what it is that you want to happen between um, one another.
1: And I think to think of it again as the brain science of that Mm -hmm. and why connect before you correct is relevant is that um, by connecting first – that allows like what you said, Patty, to downregulate or to actually, then the child can hear. So if you've just set a boundary and they're angry and they're slamming the door and you try to have a teaching moment, not so effective. Not one of us has done that. I'm sure. (laughs) But, um, but you go, I hear you're angry. Uh, you know, like it it can be as simple to make sense of it is I get that you're angry. I see that you're angry and being able to just even name that for the child is a connecting but also, we think of it. I def it's one of the best um, parenting. I think since Dan Siegel wrote several wonderful parenting books, mm-hmm. and that concept I think has been essential. But it's also I love to extrapolate it in any relationship because even not just connecting to the negative emotions. I think of like when somebody is having emotion if or they're telling you about something and you correct their details, and yet they're full of either excitement or upsetness. And you're going, no, 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 that's not really what happened. That really never goes well. You know, instead, when you connect to somebody in the emotions that they're having first, their whole body connects to you more. So you have, that's the interpersonal. Now that I've connected to you, we're more connected. I'll be able to be more open to whatever detail you're going to give me. So it's, it's related to the, um, coal and that's the openness.
0: Yeah, that is a really good point, Anne. And, you know, um, I know we're going to be wrapping up, but I want to get back to what I mentioned earlier about neuroplasticity, because this is a really, really key part of interpersonal neurobiology, which is the capacity to change and all the way through the lifespan. So no matter how little you are or how big you are, or how old you are, or young you are, um, there's always the capacity to change and grow. And this is true on a number of, in a number of ways, but literally there are two particular ways that the neurons which are the cells inside your brain actually change and one of them is chemically and what that looks like is that again just simply speaking that the chemicals between your neurons um, they change in concentration they change in concentration and that changes your brain and that typically happens in short bursts so short term memory or short short term skills, and then for longer term memory or longer term skills, the neurons themselves actually rewire they grow new connections and they actually change and they grow new networks. So how this goes together, and then this this they those two things interact with one another. so the example of how this goes together, <laughs> I was actually just thinking about this so um, our oldest uh, son is decided I don't know how that he wanted to learn how to play spoons <laughs> which is not he's been a, a high th- achiever <laughs> yes <laughs> which has not been the most pleasant experience in our household I have to say however
1: you're not really meaning the game spoons you're being no. literally I mean the musical. musical
0: spoons on his leg <laughs> you know and so um but one of the things is that so in, in his first couple like episodes of playing spoons between the start of one practice session and the end of it, he gets better, right, by the end of that episode. I mean, episode, listen to me. You can tell <laughs> how I feel about it. You really these. enjoy <laughs> your yeah, exactly. spoons. exactly. By Thank the you. end of his practice session, I should say, he is better by that one practice session. But then he, you know, sleeps on it, goes a few days, comes back to it, and he kind of starts over again. He doesn't pick up where he left off, right? So what that means n- neurologically is that, In that first one, chemically, he had begun to build up some changes in his neurons chemically. So it had begun to build um, a habit in a sense, right? But just chemically, it hadn't actually, he hadn't practiced enough to build the actual neural structures. But if he were to practice over over and over and over and over and over and over and get enough chemical change to Build the neural structure, then he could not play for a while, pick it up, and actually do, 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 begin to play spoons. Um, that actually sounded like a musical instrument. So that is a sort of weird example, but of both mm-hmm. the short term um, neuroplasticity and then the longer term. And this, how so it's kind of a silly example, but where mostly we see it is in trauma. And then when we've been deprived or neglected or abused, and we have um, somewhat um, permanent—well, what we have thought of as permanent impairments in our ability to trust, our ability to share. And the good news is—and this is a great place to end—the good news is that because of neuroplasticity, hope is very, very, very prevalent. Relationships work. Social engagement works. Healing can happen. Um, Healing absolutely can happen. Uh, I think that we're going to rotate in, um, you know, neuroplasticity, get some or something like that (laughs) on our Facebook page. Um, But it's, it it is, it couldn't be more hopeful. Um, So. That, and by the way, it works both ways. If you use it in practice, and that is the big thing is there's no like drug or something like that that helps your brain change. It literally is practice. And so for our work and what the stuff we're interested in, it's social engagement, social engagement. It's practice, practice, practice. So for our purposes, it's social engagement, social engagement, social engagement.
2: And you were saying in, if you're in group, take risks. If you're in a couple... Turn towards your partner, be vulnerable. That's right. If you're a parent. That's right.
1: And it becomes easier for a reason, and that's what you're saying. It becomes easier the more you take these risks because it really is changing your brain structure and actually making it an easier process.
0: Right. It's kind of like, though, that, you know, when you're used to a freeway, and so you don't have to think and you get on and you're just flying down and you're going 90 miles an hour or whatever. Well, not that any of us go 90. But you know, you don't have to think and you go versus like you're on a country road and you have to turn the map upside down and you have to keep stopping and looking and not knowing where you're going. That's what building new neural connections feels like. And that's what we're asking you to do to grow these new things. So it's awkward and weird. Um, but that's a wrap. And that's what we want you to do is to keep connecting, keep reaching out, um, and keep listening.
1: And hopefully you did a wonderful job running through all these. And hopefully the, when Dan Siegel's interview comes up and that's right. just a matter of weeks from this one, it, this will really help guide you and help you, um, follow along. So come back and listen. We hope you enjoyed the program today and we would love to hear from you. So uh, subscribe to the podcast. You would also love it if you would go on and give us some review, give us some input on how we're doing. You can also join us at www.therapistuncensored.com and there not only could you give us some feedback, but you could also put in a request for topics that you'd like to cover in us to cover in the future. And you'll also see different blogs and other information that we give in other formats so, thanks for joining, and we hope you come back.
0: Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show.